Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. It's the only time of year that we do this, and it's because it's the biggest week in nerddom. That's right. It's episode 275 of the Down and Nerdy podcast. I'm James Witham. And yes, this is part two of our San Diego Comic-Con 2019 coverage. It feels weird to be home from San Diego and the fact that everything is all over now. But so much stuff happened on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Going to be covering a lot of that. Yes, the Marvel Studios stuff. Matter of fact... The Boys, you're probably already watching on our Amazon Prime video, will go to the Boys press conference from San Diego Comic-Con 2019. You'll hear from the stars and the producer of that show. Also going to be talking to the cast and producers of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We know the show's going to be ending after Season 7. We'll talk about that and what's coming up this season as well. So a lot to get to. Going to talk about the two biggest comic book stories, at least in my view, up next is what we're reading, the San Diego Comic-Con edition, part two, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So what is it that you're going to want to add to your long box coming up a little bit later on this year? It's time for the what we're reading Comic-Con edition, part two. And this is actually going to be a little bit shorter because, quite frankly, a lot of the big comic book related news happened Earlier in the week at the con, it was crazy, or before the con. So much stuff came out before the con as far as comic book news was concerned that there weren't any really big, at least in my view anyway, huge announcements during San Diego Comic-Con 2019. So let's talk about the two biggest stories that did drop, and the first one was from Image Comics. You know that series from Scott Snyder and Charles Soule that was kind of being teased Earlier on last week, well, we finally know what it is. It's going to be called Undiscovered Country. It's going to be coming out in November of 2019. They've been teasing this for a while. Friday, we finally find out what was going on. The new story from Scott Snyder and Charles Soule is going to have art by Giuseppe Comancoli. Of course, the amazing Spider-Man, Darth Vader. You want to talk about a great artist to have on your book already with the Superstar Creative Team? That's who you want right there. Now... Basically, the gist of the story in Undiscovered Country is is that readers are going to journey into the region that was once the United States of America. And it's pretty much unknown at this point. It's a land that's become shrouded in mystery and literally walled off from the rest of the world for decades. Now, a small expedition enters the former U.S. to search for a cure to humanity-ending pandemic. They travel inward and learn the secrets of what America has become, each member seeking their own form of truth in the undiscovered country. That is the synopsis that was released by Image Comics. I like that it's not just the, hey, America's been walled off and we have no idea what's inside. There's a reason for them to enter because that's the that was the kicker of this, right? Okay, so you kind of know that that's what it's going to be, But why are they going in there? Now we know that's a pretty darn good reason. If humanity's going to end, you've got to go somewhere. I like that Scott Snyder in the the press release that came out for this actually says that it's like Land of the Lost meets Lewis and Clark, which I think is really, really interesting way to describe it. Because I'm not talking about the Land of the Lost like Will Ferrell movie. And I'm sure I don't want to put words in Scott's mouth, but I sort of doubt he is. I think he's going for the original Land of the Lost 
TV series that I loved when I was a kid. So I love that that is the that that is the description of what's going on here. And everybody on this creative team seems to be so psyched about working on this book. And and I think that this is a this could be a very interesting story. I mean, we've seen like a dystopian U.S. stories before. We've seen transformative versions of the U.S. before in books, but this one seems like literally just what the title says, undiscovered country. You don't know what thing. You remember that show that they had, not to just kind of skip out of my point there, but remember that show they had life after people. I can't remember if it was on discovery channel or one of the the other similar channels, national geographic or something like that. But it was like, okay, so if people just stopped, here's what would happen to certain places in the world and in the United States. And for some reason, the show drove me nuts. Just wasn't my thing because I'm like, yeah, of course the grass is going to grow if nobody's there to cut it sort of thing. Of course the animals are going to start roaming around. But in a way, this is kind of it, isn't it? And that's not to say that there aren't people in here either. It's just walled off. We don't know what's going on. So it's always the intrigue of the unknown. And I think the undiscovered country has that in spades already. Now, we know that Tom King and Mitch Garrett have been teaming, has been teasing something for a while, saying they had a huge announcement coming up for the con. They did not disappoint because the pair is going to team back up for Strange Adventures with DC Comics in 2020. And Doc Shanner is actually going to be joining the group as well on the creative team. Now, this is going to be a 12-issue series. It's kind of where Tom King lives, isn't it? About 12 issues or so. That's certainly what happened with Mr. Miracle. I mean, of course, you want more, and that doesn't mean there won't be more either, by the way, but that for now, we've got 12 issues of this. Now, you remember that this isn't necessarily just Adam Strange because this this Strange Adventures book actually debuted from DC in the 1950s, and it kind of gave them a way to tell and adapt new science fiction titles and stuff like that, and Adam Strange certainly fits into there. I think Dead Man was part of one of those, and there were some others as well. So this isn't necessarily strictly an Adam Strange thing. I mean, certainly with the artwork that was released, we see Adam Strange, and you figure he's definitely going to be a part of this, right? But this isn't going to be exclusively an Adam Strange story, so let's just keep that in mind. So, I mean, we could rampantly speculate on Who's going to be involved in this? Maybe you've got, you know, Phantom Stranger. Maybe Dead Man would be involved in this. And I don't think this is necessarily also, you know, confined to just Justice League dark characters. I mean, you're talking about science fiction. You could bring Mr. Terrific into that as well. There's certainly a ton of other DC characters. Quite frankly, I would love to see a Red Tornado thrown in there somewhere. Tom and Mitch, if you're listening, if you could figure out a way to make that work. I think that would be pretty cool at some point. But that's just me selfishly wanting a Red Tornado story. So, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily something that would sell big, but that's something that I would love. I, I just love that this is, while we know Adam Strange is going to be involved, this is certainly seems a bit open-ended. And, and we don't know exactly where this is going to go other than, yes, Adam Strange will be involved at some point during this. And probably the first issue, I mean, if we're being honest. So, I'm really stoked for this, not just because... I love Tom and Mitch's work, but because it seems like, what well, you know, Tom has 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 written Batman. And he's going to be doing the Bat Cat miniseries coming up, as well. But also, it's like you're not afraid to go out there and tell stories of different characters, which they certainly did with Mister Miracle to a lot of success. And congrats to them for their Eisner Award wins too, by the way, for Mister Miracle, and and well deserved, I must say. But it's like. 
you know, you could you could easily tell a Superman story. You could easily tell a Green Lantern story, right? But no, you go to Strange Adventures, and and that's like, wow, this is this is something that you would never expect a you know big name creative team to tackle. But that's exactly what they're doing here. It's something different. It's it's outside of the norm, and that's one of the reasons I love Tom and Mitch for doing stuff like this because they're not afraid to tell stories that you know maybe not everybody would think to tell, but they're not afraid to tackle it and do so in extremely good fashion, too, by the way. That's going to do it for the comic book news version of San Diego Comic-Con Part 2 recap. Up next, yeah, there's a ton of geek to get to. As a matter of fact, we'll start it off with some sound from the boys' press conference from San Diego Comic-Con 2019. I'll take you there next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sean Ryan. And I'm Eric Kripke. And we're the creators of Timeless on NBC, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Not only did I get to be a part of the Amazon Prime Video Experience for the boys, I actually got to go to the press conference for the show with the stars of the show and, of course, executive producer Eric Kripke as well. So as I'm sitting there, so many great questions are being asked. As a matter of fact, one of the first ones was, did you know that the show is going to be this subversive? And it was actually answered by Aaron Moriarty, who plays Starlight. Yeah, it's cool, because when you're sent a script, it's called The Voice, you want to make an assumption about it, especially for the one that's sent you around superheroes. So the first assumption I made was that it was going to be this kind of like superhero drama that it hears, that kind of stereotypical superhero formula. And the second assumption I made when I read the name Starlight was that she was just going to fit into that box that we're all really familiar with. And she doesn't, and that's what I loved about it. And I, um, you know, I think um, I think it's a really cool opportunity because here you have when you first meet her, this very earnest young woman from Midwest America, who, although being earnest, um, she's not, um, you know, she she's not naive. She's just, you know, she doesn't know the world that she's getting herself into because you don't unless you go behind those closed doors. And then she's, you know, smacked in the face with reality. And it turns into a really morally ambiguous situation. And I really like that here you're presented with this young woman who we all know, you're seeing it through her eyes. She's a good person. We, you can't dispute that. And, you know, good people can make bad decisions in the moment out of our own visceral reactions. And she ends up kind of becoming empowered as a result. And I keep coming back to the same saying because I just think it's the most applicable one for this situation, which is that sunlight's really good disinfectant. So I'm glad that we're kind of exposing these stories and making them less and less taboo so that, you know, we can, you know, honor people who've been through these types of things and, and prove that, you know, you're not always a victim coming out of it. Maybe we a stronger person. Next question up at the press conference was, what was the biggest difference between playing Katana in Suicide Squad and playing the female on The Boys? Of course, that answer by Karen Fukuhara. The main thing is that I'm not really a sword. Um, but I had a conversation with Eric at the beginning of shooting last year, um, last year and he wanted something more animalistic and something that's not refined, uh, whereas Katana was more martial arts. Uh, and very deliberate action. Um, I love playing the female because it's, you just never know what's going to come because she's, she fights in a way that's not, that's out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Next question up was actually answered by the butcher himself, Carl Urban, and that was, what were some of the challenges in filming, and what do you like the most about working on the show? I guess some more challenging stuff, well, for me, would have been uh, in the episode, in that pilot, I get to fight an invisible <laughs> superhero, um, which was a whole new, interesting thing for me. I've done various different fights in my career, and uh, uh, that was a trip. I mean, standing in the middle of the room, swinging at nothing and taking hits from nothing. It was pretty funky. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, but uh, you know what, I just, I've just had such a fantastic time working on the show and, and this incredibly talented uh, cast. I love working with, um, you know, in, in the world of boys, um, you know, and then uh, I guess really what appealed to me about this show was, you know, these, these blue collar uh, young young men and women who decide to take on the, the man, the top one percent, the most super powerful. And I was very intrigued as to how you sustain that conflict when you have, you know, uh, people of supreme power. Uh, how, how do you take those down? And for me personally, I just, it, it just seems like every time I turn on television these days, I, I get to see that reflected in current, uh, current events. Um, so I think our uh, show is uh, quite timely, and uh, you know, I'm sort of really can't wait for it to get out there and have a Next up, this question definitely had to be answered by Eric Kripke, and that was, what were the challenges in adapting the comic itself? Um, yeah, the comic is incredibly shocking, super outrageous, um, and look, we wanted to capture that subversive spirit of kind of anarchy, um, but I have the same respect didn't want to be shocking for shocking's sake or exploitive. Um, you know, I don't think that really works in a TV show. I think you need to feel you're in the hands of confident storytellers. Um, so the overall rule in the writer's room has been, like, we're all for something shocking or subversive or crazy, but um, it has to be, it has to be really important to the story or be really important to advance the character. Um, and if it is, if you can't tell the story without it, um, then we'll do it. If it's just in there, just to be crazy, uh, in general, we kill that bitch. Um, so, you know, because overall, what we're really trying to do is, what is the most brutally realistic version of superheroes in the real world? And with superheroes as insecure, and fucked up, and self-serving, and selfish, as real humans really would be, and you gave them superpowers, they would all be super Bill Cosby. I mean, it's insane. And, and so, can I say something? Is it too soon? Too soon, too soon, too soon for all you fucking Bill Cosby fans in the back. Next question at the press conference for the boys from Amazon Prime Video was, what was the scene in the comics that you're most excited to film? So you'll actually hear from Eric Kripke, Jack Quaid, who plays Huey, and Jesse T. Usher, who plays A-Train. From the beginning, we were, we were always sure we were going to open the show with uh, A-Train running through Robin, um, Huey's girlfriend, who sets him off on the whole journey. <laughs> and Derek Roberts, who 
was for Robin. And, uh, and I was like, well, that's really important to me too. And we're definitely going to do it. Just because to me, like, that really sets the tone of what this show is going to be. And again, the reality of if you were a speedster in real life, like, occasionally you would be running through people. Uh, so I just loved it for the shock value that I liked watching. What was it like filming that, gentlemen? Both of you. Really gooey. Uh, was yeah. covered in a lot of uh, stuff. Um, shot with an air cannon. Um, but despite all the special effects, it was a day where you know it was a really important scene. It's crazy, but it sets my character on these entire things. So it was one of the most challenging, but one of the coolest and most surreal days I've ever had. So uh, really yeah, it was an honor. Lastly, the question was, who is the moral compass of the boys? And that one was answered by Mother's Milk himself, Laz Alonzo. Uh, Mother's Milk, who is pretty much the moral compass of the boys, um, I tend to agree a lot with his logic and his way of thinking. Um, but even still, uh, their norm is <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, even as, as morally upright as he tries to be, you know, they still have to justify all kinds of really fucked up shit. And you can see exactly what he's talking about right now. You can stream the entire first season of The Boys from Amazon Prime Video right now. And I got to tell you, I've gotten a chance to see it a little bit early. It is crazy. It is it's going to keep your attention so much that you're going to want to binge the whole thing in one sitting. So make sure you're blocking out some time to watch The Boys because you're definitely not going to want to stop. That's going to do it for some of the sound from The Boys press conference at San Diego Comic-Con 2019. Up next, yeah, we went to another premiere. Just happened to see the first episode of the Harley Quinn animated series from DC Universe. My spoiler-free review next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Something big happened at the DC Universe panel, and it was kind of expected by the crowd, actually, that we would get to see a little bit of the Harley Quinn animated series. What we got to see was the entire first episode of the Harley Quinn animated series. So I want to talk about that here for a few minutes, and well, I'm absolutely positively not going to spoil a drop of it. I will just go ahead and tell you my impressions of what I saw and what I saw was something that first of all is very very adult and that is something that Justin Halpern and Patrick Schumacher really really pressed at the panels matter of fact before they even showed the episode there was like a warning saying yeah kids might want to leave the room for this one because language is not an issue visually there's some stuff we were like I can't believe they just did that and yeah, there's there's some stuff that might shock you a little bit, but in a good way. And I gotta say, Kelly Cuoco is Harley Quinn. Absolutely loved her. 
as Harley. It's almost like those 12 years of Big Bang Theory were just building up inside of Kaylee, and she's just freed herself completely in this Harley Quinn animated series. You want to talk about going for it? She 100% goes for it in this series. And yes, we do get to see... I don't think this this is a spoiler or anything, because I think that this was part of the trailer that's already been released, and that's we do get to see the Joker in the first episode, and we actually get to deal with... You know, Harley and Joker in their relationship in this first episode as well. And I got to tell you, it was a brilliant way that it was portrayed in this first episode and how things really shake out. I, I got to tell you, it this wasn't just funny. It actually, there were plenty of things in there where it made you go, that makes sense. Or, I can't believe nobody else has thought to do that. Or, wow, I can't believe they decided to do that in the first episode. I just thought it was a really, really cool way to go about not wasting any time and getting right to the point of what your show is going to be about for this entire season. And I think that everybody involved absolutely 100% does that. And and, and it was legitimately funny for a lot of reasons. And it wasn't just Harley that was funny. It wasn't just Joker that was funny. You've got the deadpan humor of a poison ivy. You've got some other Archimites mixed in there as well. Commissioner Gordon in this cracked me the hell up. And I can't tell you why. Not going to spoil it for you, but I was not expecting to get laughs from watching Commissioner Gordon on this Harley Quinn series. And it's not a whole lot of Gordon either. It's not like you're seeing a ton of Commissioner Gordon, but when he is there, it's pretty hilarious. You've got Batman involved as well. And Batman's never really funny, but he's funny in his own way is the best way that I can really describe Batman in this sense in that he's not necessarily there for the humor, but humor happens around him. And the animation style, by the way, too, was really, really just it was really crisp. It was clean. The colors popped really well, especially with a character like Harley. You've absolutely got to do that. Anyway, and then we get to see at the end of the episode the trailer for what's going to be happening in the entire season. So it's not just the writing of Schumacher and Halpern. It's the it's the visual look that they give a lot of credit to Jennifer Coyle on that, the supervising producer, for, for how that was presented. And we know that Harley, based on this trailer, again, this is not a spoiler, Harley is going to have her gang. She's going to have her team. But we do know from the from the panel, too, by the way, it's not going to be an all-female team. So I can't wait to see exactly who is involved in that. And, of course, when I went through the Harley Quinn activation on the floor, we also got to see some characters that are going to be on the show. I guess I can talk about some of them at this point. We know that Bane's going to be a part of the show. We know that King Shark's going to be there. Kite Man's even going to be a part of it. We get to see that not just on the floor but in the trailer as well. We've got Dr. Psycho. And several others. So I think that overall, not only was this the Harley Quinn animated series I was hoping for, this was the Harley Quinn animated series I I wanted so badly. And it delivered in almost every way just in the first episode alone. I was cracking up. It seemed like the crowd was having a great time watching the first episode. It's a nice, you know, 22 minutes-ish Right there, so so it's one of those things where you could easily 
binge watch this or watch this quickly on DC Universe when it comes out. So it's not something that drags on. It absolutely hits its marks. There's a couple of, I don't want to say new characters in the mix. I guess they would be considered new, but it's not anybody that you're going to recognize that play, again, a comedic role in this that you're not really expecting. This show is funny. It's over the top at times because it has to be. But at the same time, it also takes certain angles where it's like, huh, I'm, I'm surprised that they went in that direction and it really, really makes sense. So it's more than just a funny show. The story legitimately makes sense and is driven forward really, really well just in this first episode alone. And then you see the trailer. This is a reel that gets released at the end of it. And you're like, well, if this is where they're going, I'm on board. So I cannot wait for the rest of this Harley Quinn animated series. So hopefully this thing gets on DC Universe really soon because I want to I start dropping some spoilers when I'm actually able to. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Harley Quinn animated series from DC Universe, from the DC Universe panel. Up next, time to drop a ton of nerd news. Let's get to it, Comic-Con style, on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yeah, brother. This is Josh Segura, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's Comic-Con. It's the final days of the con, so you know this is definitely when the nerd news happens. And you know I'm going to start. With that Marvel Studios panel, right? Only going to be talking about the biggest news from the con, at least from my view anyway. So let's talk about Phase 4. And I want to run through these as quickly as I can because there's a lot of information to digest. So we're going to start with Marvel's Eternals, which is going to be coming out November 6th, 2020. Angelina Jolie has been confirmed as Thena. Richard Madden is going to be Icarus. So it seems like the rumors that were floating around for Eternals were true. I still think this is a little bit of a risky venture for Marvel. It's a little bit out there, but you slap that Marvel Studios label on something, and that's at least going to come with a little bit of interest from fans. Plus, this is one of those things could, that could look visually striking, too. And I think that that will certainly attract a lot of attention, as does a name like Angelina Jolie, so that definitely doesn't hurt your cause. Luckily, we did get news about some of the Disney Plus series that are going to be coming. As a matter of fact... Pretty much all of them that were pretty much confirmed. Falcon and Winter and the Winter Soldier is going to be coming in the fall of 2020. And we know that, of course, that's going to be Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. Baron Zemo is going to be a part of this season. As a matter of fact, Daniel Brule, after the con, and I shouldn't be talking about after the con stuff during the con wrap-up show, but forget it. Zemo is going to suit up in this season, which is something we didn't get in Captain America Civil War, which I was bummed about because I'm a fan of that character, so I'm glad that they're going to go back there and give us Zemo in costume. Hopefully he gets the Baron Zemo title, too. I, I know that that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things, but I just think the costume's really cool, so I can't wait to see that in live action. Here's one that has gotten a lot of chatter, not just during the con, but after the con as well. Shang-Chi and the Legend of... Of the Ten Rings, which is going to be coming out in February February 12th of 2021. Now, Simu Liu is going to be cast as Shang-Chi. And it's almost like he was trying to tell us before the actual casting that he had been cast. Which I think is really cool. And this just it just seems to fit so well. And, as a matter of fact, Tony Leung is going to be playing... The true Mandarin. Yes, so that is going to be another wrong that will be righted from Iron Man 3, which a lot of fans are really angry about. The Mandarin will be the actual Mandarin in this Shang-Chi movie. And this is one of these movies to me 
that I look at on this schedule and I go, this could be one of those ones that steals the show. You know how like Guardians came out of nowhere and suddenly became one of the most popular Marvel Studios movies of all of them, especially that first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, which was almost perfectly done. This one to me is one of those ones that really stands out as this could be a breakout hit that nobody's expecting to be a breakout hit because I mean, just you're talking about just the action alone could be next level, even for a Marvel studios movie, as far as practical effects are concerned. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what Marvel studios can do with Shang Li and Shang Chi. And it looks like we won't have to wait very long either. So that's good news. Next up was one division. Of course, the series that's also been confirmed for Disney Plus, and yes, you are going to have Scarlet Witch and Vision back for this series. That'll feature a grown-up Monica Rambeau, actually, as a matter of fact. Tiona Paris is going to be playing her, so that's interesting that we've kind of Captain Marvel tie-in a little bit there. And Paul Bettany and, of course, Elizabeth Olsen going to be reprising their roles on that series, as will Tom Hiddleston for Loki, which is going to be coming out in the spring of 2021, so you'll have WandaVision and Loki coming out around the same time. And the interesting thing about WandaVision comes with the news of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which will be out in theaters May the 7th, 2021. Now, Elizabeth Olsen is going to bring Scarlet Witch to this movie, and it will also connect with the WandaVision series, which is very, very interesting. So it's like, well, where does that take the story, and how does that make sense? But I like the fact that the multiverse is really going to get a spotlight for Marvel, and there, there's certainly been some teasing of it recently, and we know that it exists now. That door has been flung open pretty much by in the last year especially. So I like that we're going to get a little bit of a spotlight in that, and, and I'm thinking... This has got to lead the Secret Wars at some point, doesn't it? I mean, at least that's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking we've got Secret Wars on the horizon. I was talking to a couple of friends about this at the con, actually. I think that that might be where they're going coming up. Not necessarily in Phase 4, but, four, but certainly preparing that for Phase 5. We also have the Marvel What If animated series. is going to be coming in summer of 2021. The big news there is Jeffrey Wright is going to be voicing the Watcher, which I think is a great choice. We know that a lot of the Marvel Studios actors are going to be reprising their roles for that animated series as well. As far as voiceovers go, that, that's I mean, that's something that can be done remotely as well. So that, that could be something very easy to get actors back for. So I love that they're doing it that way. We will get that Hawkeye series on Disney Plus as well coming up in the fall of 2021. We had summer 2021 for Marvel What If, by the way. But as far as Hawkeye is concerned, Jeremy Renner will be back, but Kate Bishop will be introduced in this series, which I've been waiting for for a while. I think that this is a great way to sort of pass the torch, pass the mantle over for Jeremy Renner. I mean, he's had a good run as Hawkeye. I think it's Kate Bishop's turn to take that mantle. And speaking of taking the mantle, Thor Love and Thunder might have been one of the the other most talked about movies coming out of this as well. We'll see that November 5th. 2021 in theaters. Yes, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson will be returning, but there's two reasons that people are talking about this. The first one is is that Natalie Portman is going to be taking over the mantle of Thor. Yes, Jason Aaron's Mighty Thor is going to be coming to Marvel Studios and the big screen. That caused a lot of talk on social media. Now, 
it, it, I, I th- I've obviously Natalie Portman has accomplished enough to do this, but I mean, I don't think we're going to get a lot of the humorous Thor that we've been used to lately because that's not really her thing. Humor is not really her thing. She's got a lot of emotional depth in the characters that she brings. So I'm curious to see what kind of a Thor we're going to get when Natalie Portman does take over because fans have kind of gotten used to Thor being a little bit wisecracking, right? I mean, we've seen that from the beginning a little bit, but we've really seen the comedy and the wisecracking from Thor lately. So if that tone changes a little bit, that will be interesting. But we still have Tessa Thompson, Valkyrie in there too. And we know that now Valkyrie is going to be an LGBTQ character. She said that, you know, the king is going to be looking for her queen because she is the king of Asgard now. So that's interesting too. It also happens to be about damn time too, by the way. But that that's a whole different discussion for a different day. Continuing on the schedule, we have Black Widow coming out May 1st of 2021. We already knew, of course, about Scarlett Johansson, but we've got David Harbour of Stranger Things fame getting into the comic book realm once again, going to be playing the Red Guardian in the movie, and Rachel Weisz going to be playing Melina. Those are basically the two names that you're going to recognize right away from this cast. I do think it's interesting that they're waiting this long, and maybe there's a reason for that after the way things went down in Endgame. Maybe there's a reason we're waiting until 2021 to do this. Another one that got and a lot of attention was the fact that, yes, we are getting Blade in the MCU, but it is going to be a reboot with Mahershala Ali, which is a great, great casting. I don't want to hear any of the, he was caught in mouth, and Luke Cage, are we going to do that talk? Because multiverse, okay? That's how you can do it. Who knows who he's going to be in an alternate universe? So we're just going to go with that. We're going to go with that as the explanation And we're going to move on with our lives because there's no sense in dwelling on it. But I got to tell you, with D23 coming up and Marvel could have hung a lot of these announcements back until then, I got to give them a lot of credit for dropping such a huge amount of news during San Diego Comic-Con. Another big thing that happens at San Diego Comic-Con every year is a lot of trailers, a lot of them to talk about just from Friday on. So I'm going to try and go through these as quickly as I can. Going to have to start, though, with the Witcher trailer from Netflix. I mean, after seeing all these trailers, I don't know how I can not start with this. I love the the key phrase there of the worst monsters are the ones that we create. And we see the tease of, you know, humans kind of learning magic from the elves when the monsters arrived, and then the humans sort of turn on them. Or at least that's the story that's being presented anyway. And I got to say, Henry Cavill looks amazing as Geralt. It just feels like a good fit. Now that we're actually seeing it, instead of, I know we saw the first look photos that Netflix released before this, but we're actually getting to see it now in, in live action in a trailer. It just feels like even more of a right fit. And it feels like the vibe for Geralt just fits what Henry Cavill does really, really well. And that's why... Well, I thought he was a good Superman. I didn't think he was a great Superman. And this might be right in his wheelhouse. I think that we've kind of found a good fit for him. And we do get to see at least one monster that he's going to fight, by the way. And it looks freaking creepy and amazing. I love that. Although, speaking of creepy, Yennefer creeps the hell out of me in this trailer. And I love that about it so i'm not going to get too deep into you know how this matches up with the game or the book or anything like that all this this feels more book than game which i think is a good thing 
and I think is the better way to adapt to this. That's just my personal opinion. But again, one trailer, hard to know a whole lot, but I think that the feeling you get after watching this is that this could be a damn fine series, not just story-wise, but visually in action. I mean, this could be the real total package and something that can really make Netflix know that they have a big winner on their hands. So far, I'm impressed. Speaking of being impressed, CBS All Access finally gave us a trailer for Star Trek Picard. We know that's going to be coming out sometime in 2020. And basically, now we know why Picard has left. He basically left because Data sacrificed himself to save his life. So then we've got a young girl that comes to him in distress. And you know that Picard's not going to turn down someone that's in distress. So he actually heads back to Starfleet to try and figure out what's really going on. But it's clear that she's more than anyone really realizes at first glance. And we get to see that sort of play out. We also get to see Jerry Ryan. We get to see Brent Spiner, which is really, really cool. A nice surprise for, you know, any any Trekkies. You're going to be excited about that, right? This does also seem a lot like Picard sort of remembering who he is and people remembering who he is. But that also could be a danger to him as well. And we sort of see him start to assemble a team. I don't want to call them a crew yet because we don't really know where this is going. It seems like... You know, there's going to be a ship involved, and he's going to be at the helm, and there will be a crew. It seems like that's where things are going, but I don't really want to call them a crew just yet because we don't really know what we're dealing with other than this young girl. This kind of feels like a Logan version of Star Trek, doesn't it? I mean, and Patrick Stewart was obviously amazing as Charles Xavier in Logan, and, you know, the, his character is obviously in a different place, but it's like Picard's playing more of the Logan role in this than anything else. So without the noir feel, this kind of feels like it's Logan with Star Trek in some different themes, doesn't it, a little bit? So, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong there, but and I certainly don't think that's a bad thing if that's the case either. So I'm down for this. If this is what they're going to be doing, I, I mean, even if it was just Picard with his dog making wine for like eight episodes, I think it'd be okay with that too. So maybe I'm just too easy to please. I don't know, but... I think that this is going to be a great show. And this this is one of those things you'd sign up for CBS All Access to watch this if you're not already doing that with Discovery. Let's run through the Arrowverse really quick. Didn't really get a whole lot from Arrow or Black Lightning, but that's kind of because, you know, they're shooting. We do know that Prometheus is going to be back on Arrow and a couple of other villains this season. We also know that the Anti-Monitor and the Monitor are going to be played by the same person. We found that out in the press room, so that will be interesting how that plays out. What we did get, though, was more so from Supergirl and Flash. We get to see, you know, how Lena's a villain, but she's not a villain. And she even says at one point in the trailer, I'm not a villain, then she sure as hell ends up looking like one. But it seems like there's a real theme of the dangers of technology going on here and people just not interacting with people anymore. Leviathan is also name-dropped. We've got Obsidian that's going to be a part of this season as well. But a lot of this is going to be, it looks like, the interpersonal relationships and how Lena was affected by last season. And the new suit, by the way. The new suit for Supergirl with the pants. I know that Melissa Benoist has really wanted this. It looks so much better. I put an article up about this at downandnerdypodcast.com when the first look broke. And I got to tell you, it just it looks like it makes so much more sense than the other suits have in the past. I didn't know how much better it would be until I saw it with my own eyes. And it really does look more streamlined and a lot better. But I got to tell you, this upcoming season of The Flash, we're getting a blood work 
is the main villain. It's going to be played by Sunhill Ramamurthy, who, of course, you remember from Heroes, and he's narrating the whole trailer. And then when he says, no one has to die ever, and his eyes change, I'm like, whoa. And it's clear that the Flat Team Flash is going to have a really hard time dealing with this villain because it's like he talks about, you know, almost almost heroes being a cancer on society. So clearly, we'll find out what kind of an axe he really has to grind with Team Flash because there's there's clearly some friction there. But we'll find that out as the season kicks off. But, I mean, great choice for a villain as far as I'm concerned. And plus, you're still dealing with everything that's going on with Crisis as well. I also wanted to mention with the whole Arrow thing, though, the new Black Canary suit, loving that. Loving the new look. I know that Katie Cassidy is excited about that as well. I mean, if I wasn't already excited enough for DC TV, I, I really, really am at this point after seeing just even the little bit that we got to see. We'll have to wait for October for all that. Watchmen is another one that with each passing trailer, I seem to get more and more excited about. And this one, we got a lot more of Regina King, who it seems like she just keeps better with getting better with every role that she's in. And she talks about how, you know, the facade that the world puts on. And we get to see a lot about how masks are playing a role in this show because the cop, there was an attack on the cops. Now the cops are wearing masks so they can cover up their identities. You've got the Warshack crew that they've, they're covering up. You've got vigilantes as well in, in, mixed into there. And it just seems like, there's a theme of the overall feeling is, is that hero or villain, people who wear masks are dangerous because it hides who they are. That seems to be the main theme that was going on in this trailer anyway. We do get that tease of Dr. Manhattan. It looks like Dr. Manhattan will be a part of this in some way, shape, or form. You kind of figured that anyway, but it's nice to actually see that in the trailer itself. So, again, I think that there's still a lot of mystery involved here. In this Watchmen series, I don't think we're getting any direct adaptation here, which I, I'm fine with, by the way. But Regina King taking a front, front and center approach to this trailer, I, I think that that's, that was another thing that I needed to kick things up. And we've already seen Jeremy Irons a bit. We already saw Don Johnson. Now we're getting to see more of Regina King. Yeah, it, it's just like each trailer is highlighting just how great this cast really is. Speaking of great, I mean, when you got... Jennifer Connelly on your cast can't hurt there, right? We've got Snowpiercer coming in 2020 to TBS. And I got to tell you, the way that the class system is divided on the train for this series, I love it. It's really, really highlighted well in this trailer. It's, it's very much a haves and have-nots type of situation on the Snowpiercer train. Of course, this is all that's left of society, and they're on this all on the same train together. I'll... I won't go ahead and give you the synopsis since there's been movies and all kinds of other stuff. You've either seen the movie or you probably know what it's about or you'll just or you're googling it right now as I'm talking about it. So, we do have the upper class Jennifer Connelly character that's kind of and her main adversary it seems like is David Diggs's character who's kind of representing the have-nots on that side, but then there's a point in the trailer where it looks like he's being welcomed in, welcomed in, welcomed in. To that other side, right? And will he take her up on the offer? Will he want? Will he not? And then she even says to him, "If you do this, no, no turning back." And what would be the effects of that? 
Does he think he could bring change from the inside? And how would he, the people he's leaving view him if he did that? There's mutiny on the train that there's being talked about. So things are going to be very, very tense. And I love that everyone thinks they're on the right side because that's that's what happens in stories like this sometimes, right? Even the ones that are absolutely 100 completely 100% completely wrong still think they're on the right side. And that's just one of those things that can happen, right? So all these shows really, really looking forward to all this. I don't think that there's a stinker in the bunch, quite frankly. So a lot of great trailers coming out of Comic-Con this year. Here's a lot of the other big news that I think that happened during the con, entertainment-wise anyway, and that is the DC Universe panel had a lot of stuff. Talked about Harley Quinn earlier. We also found out that Titans will be premiering Season 2 on September the 6th, and the sizzle reel there, we got to see a lot of stuff. We got to see the first look at Superboy. We got to see a good look at Crypto in action. We got to see Raven in her classic Raven garb, somewhat anyway, not totally, but it's certainly progressing towards that. We get to actually see Bruce Wayne. It was crazy, all the stuff that was dropped in this quick sizzle reel for Titans. And then we get to see that end reveal of Deathstroke. I lost it. I'm sorry. I, I, I could not contain myself when that happened. So I'm really looking forward to Season 2 of Titans coming up on September the 6th. We also got news that Doom Patrol has been renewed for Season 2, which got a huge reaction from the crowd. Young Justice is getting a fourth season, which I was sitting close to the Young Justice cast and producers once that thing was once that was announced. Excuse me, the cast and the crew, and it just the eruption of joy from just a few seats away from me and from the fans in attendance as well. Young Justice getting a season four. It's, it feels like that when you had to scratch and claw for, but it has fought its way to yet another season. And the episode that they aired. During the con, another home run. This is a show that just should be continuing. You shouldn't have to fight for it. It's almost like, you know, with like with Lucifer and with Winona Earp, you shouldn't have to fight for it, but maybe it makes you appreciate it a little bit more because you do. Sticking with DCTV here, because this, we found this out shortly, about a day before the Supergirl panel is going to be happening at the con, and then as McCod Brooks is going to be leaving. Supergirl, so no more James Olsen. He's actually leaving the show to, to pursue feature film opportunities and also a cable TV series that he has in development. This news first broke from Entertainment Weekly. Now, we're not really sure when he's going to leave or how he's going to leave. If it's going to be one of those things where, yeah, he'll be able to come back, like Jeremy Jordan, who's coming back for a few episodes this season after leaving the show. So, which is funny because, you know, James finally reunites with his sister. They're living in the same place, and now James is going to leave, and his sister's going to be there. We think. Although, and there's no saying how that's going to shake out either. Of course, we've got the whole relationship relationship between her and Alex that we've got to explore coming up in this season as well. But I think it's going to be, you know, a, another original cast member leaving the show full-time. And I know that that's happened and some of the other shows as well. It's not like, you know, Arrow certainly hasn't been immune to that. The Flash has had some changes as well. And these shows will continue to have changes. But at the same time, this one feels different because he's been such a huge part of all of the storylines in these last several seasons. So to have him exit out of the show, like Cat Grant lifted right out. As much as I thought Calista Flockhart did a great job in the first season, that's a character that sort of lifted right out, right? It made sense that she was going to be gone. And now with, with McCod leaving and with, with now there's just going to be no James Olsen, who's kind of a core character in the whole story. 
I don't know if this is going to be something that happens during crisis. I, it's just very interesting how this is going to play out, but he definitely will be missed on that cast. Here's something that's going to be missing from the Fox lineup because the Orville is going to be leaving Fox for Hulu for this upcoming third season. And that was announced by Seth MacFarlane at the Orville panel. Now the show's going to be exclusively airing on Hulu coming up for the third season. And Variety actually reports this was kind of due to the workload on the effects of the show and so much that MacFarlane has going on in general would not have been ready for a mid-season premiere. So now the show will air sometime in 2020 on Hulu. So we don't know when, we just know that the fact that it's happening. Now, this doesn't seem like a parting of the ways on bad terms between McFarlane and Fox, though, and Fuzzy Door Productions, which, of course, is where McFarlane's stuff lives. It almost seems like it's just more of a challenge to keep things on a schedule for a broadcast network. It seems like that's... It was kind of like more of a mutual decision between Fox and McFarlane, who still seem to be on very good terms. But keep in mind that Disney has a huge stake in Hulu, and it continues to grow. So it kind of makes it even more of a lateral move since 20th Century Fox is the one, the TV that that distributes this show. So it's kind of under that same umbrella anyway. So being able to make a move like this just sort of makes sense if you think about it. And, and I mean, it allows them to do a little bit more stuff on Hulu that they might not be able to get away with on Fox, too. I'm not saying that it's going to get all really raunchy or anything, but it's certainly something where, you know, kind of McFarlane can stretch, stretch his wings a little bit more on this show now than he could have on broadcast television. So maybe that kind of played a little bit of a factor as well. This was kind of a sleeper story that I didn't see a lot at the time because of everything that was going on. But we also have AMC is going to be adapting She Could Fly from Dark Horse Comics. So the Christopher Cantwell story is certainly, Cantwell's no stranger to TV, but now he's going to be bringing that to the network. And now, of course, this is from Burger Books as well. It's being optioned for development. The book also co-created by Martin Morazzo. And actually, according to the press release, the executive producers are going to be Mike J- Mark Johnson, also Breaking Bat and from Better Call Saul. Uh, Melissa Bernstein is going to be involved there as well, also from that. Karen Berger is going to be a part of it with Mike Richards from Dark Horse Entertainment. Of course, Cantwell will be involved. Of course, that should be no question there. And Keith Golding of Dark Horse Entertainment going to be there as well. Of course, you know him from the Umbrella Academy. Now, this is a book that I've reviewed in the past. If you don't know, it tells the story of Luna, who's a disturbed 15-year-old girl who becomes obsessed with an unknown woman who appears in the Chicago sky flying at heights reaching at 2,000 feet. Then this woman dies in a fire explosion in midair, and that's kind of where the story sort of takes off on a life of its own. It's a great portrayal of anxiety and mental health as well. This is a story that could be really, really gritty and deep and also but a story of hope at the same time. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this gets adapted. I think casting this could be really, really important. Don't have anybody in mind off the top of my head. Tweet me at downandnerdy757 or post it on the Facebook page. Let me know what you think as far as casting for She Could Fly. But this is one that I really, really think could be a big winner for the network. That's going to do it for the San Diego Comic-Con edition of Nerd News. And yeah, there was a ton of it. But we still got to talk to the cast and producers of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We'll do that next.
on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. We know that Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is going to have their big season six finale on August the 2nd on ABC, a big two-part finale. So it was so nice to get a chance to sit down with the cast and producers of the show at San Diego Comic-Con this year, starting with Henry Simmons, who plays Mac, and Natalia Cordova-Buckley, who plays Yo-Yo. The first question for them was, how different is this upcoming seventh and final season to the current season going on now? Very different. Don't you think seven from six? Yeah. It's, uh... uh... There's a lot of traveling in Seven. I'm not going to say what kind of travel, but we we do a lot of traveling. Don't yeah, we? there's uh, look at look at you writing that down, boy. <laughs> there is uh, look at that. We'll just throw something on the table, see what happens. No, um, there's a there's a lot of unexpected um, occurrences that happen in, in season seven. What do you say? Yeah. And, and everything kind of comes full circle. All the yeah. seasons, a lot from Marvel. Well, mainly Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but a lot that you we've seen in past seasons or what we expected to happen and not kind of comes full circle. It's very hard to explain because I can't tell you guys anything. Yeah, Literally, right. the, what they told us was my talking points was that Yo-Yo wears heels. Right. That's all I can say. So I'm trying to tell you a little bit <laughs> without we telling you much. Um, so a lot, a lot from the past of Shield comes into play. We say that there, there could be people yeah. or elements that you've seen could be could be. Uh, I do know. I can say that you will meet uh, Matt's parents. Lastly, my question for the two of them was, do you think that right now your characters understand and respect each other now more than they ever have? As far as the relationship between your two characters is concerned, do you think right now you guys understand and respect each other more so than you ever have during your time together? Absolutely. I will say from Max's perspective, uh, in season six we've learned that they separated because... Uh, Mac felt like he couldn't do his job properly worrying about the safety of Yo-Yo. He didn't want him to be compromised in making uh, decisions uh, as a a director. But the old adage is, uh, what is it, you you respect the thing, you realize how much you need or miss something once it's gone. And I think that's what happened with Mac. And once you see him with another guy. (laughs) Yeah. I think I think I handled that all right. I think you handled that oh, all right. Oh yeah. Inside, yeah. not so much. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> That's true. That from a distance, from stare a distance, kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it goes back to what we were saying about him being a leader. You know, that choice is not egocentric. It's right. I have to do it for the betterment of her, of the team, and he lets go of his own desires and needs to cover that. It was hard for us to even understand it. I think at first when they oh, told us gosh. they were going to break us up, yeah, we were like, right. what? Why? And then. We had to make sense of it, and that's I, the I, sense of it that I'm making. Yeah, I, I still don't. I, I'm personally, I still don't. I'm like, why? Because I mean, they were the most mature, really the only yeah. mature, adult, grounded relationship, you know. Really? So it was, 
It was an interesting challenge. But I think it has made their relationship stronger. Yeah. Next up was Clark Gregg, who of course played Sarge and played Colson, and the Ming Now Wen, who plays Melinda May. The first question was mine to them was that, hey, Stars, Sarge is alive, so what's going on with his powers? And hey, what does that mean for May as well? So you're alive again. <laughs> <laughs> who is alive? You are. Well, Sarge is alive. Sarge is alive. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's true, Sarge is alive. Yeah. He looks a hell of a lot like Phil Coulson. And uh, a lot more powerful as well. Turns out he's got some powers. What I mean, you should have figured you? that out when he was able to stand for more than a round with uh, Henry Simmons, that there was something going on there. And I think uh, in tonight's episode, uh, a lot's going to be revealed about what Sarge has going on underneath that Coulson skin. And... To hit, and that'll be a bit shocking to the audience and I think a bit shocking to the guy called Sarge as well. Can't be easy for you either. No, no, no. It, you know, I mean, May had just grieved and, and kind of let Phil finally have his resting place. They had their moment in Tahiti. What? There are people who think you really took him out in Tahiti. I know, I saw that. you just loved that. him to death. Uh -huh. <laughs> That he was actually recovering. <laughs> he was on his way back, but just... Turns out the cavalry has powers we don't even know about. Oh, oh no. Okay, next question. Kind of hard to follow that, but that next question was, how does it feel to be shooting the end of the show very, very soon? Yes. Next week, we're shooting the last seven days Ooh. of the show. The way we, we were kind of did our goodbye, our ending at the end of season five. We hadn't heard if it was going to be picked up. And the show was called The End, that episode. And it was very moving, and we did that goodbye. And then we came back to do two more 13-episode seasons, which we were thrilled to do. I heard about the stories. I heard what they wanted to do to kill off Colson and have this other evil guy show up. And it was very exciting. Um, so we will have already done one kind of goodbye. And a lot that's going to happen in this final three episodes, I believe it is, yeah. of of season, season six. six, including a two-hour season six finale, uh, is pretty mind-blowing and explosive and really rips the entire rug of the first six seasons out from under people. And so season seven is a big departure. So the ending a lot will be reflective of that and the changes that happened before that. And it's very interesting to do it to be saying goodbye, to be putting on these costumes for the last times, uh, especially for me, because I've been doing it for 11 years now, playing this guy and dead and then back and then dead and back and God knows. Um, so what's interesting about it is, we, in life you don't always get to this place where you're like, okay, this is good, I'm in, this is what I'm gonna be this for the rest of my, li my life. It doesn't happen. So the ending will be much more reflective of a place they're at and a direction they might or might not be heading in individually and in groups. It was great to have Chloe Bennett back on the show. Of course, plays Daisy and Jeff Ward as well, who plays Deke Shaw. The first question for them, I mean, kind of an obvious, obvious one. How do you feel about the show ending? It's seven years of my life as an adult. You know, seven years of my life, seven years of the show, seven years of growing with the fans, seven years of of um, growing with the cast and the creators of the show and the crew. And it's a huge, huge thing. It's a huge thing. And it's uh, really emotional and... Uh, and they got to, you know, the writers got to end uh, end the show uh, properly, and and you know, like for the last two seasons, we've known that it was gonna 
they were guiding it in toward an special, ending. It's and, a special thing to be able to, you know, choose to end your show. A lot of people don't ever get yeah. that, so that's an exciting, that's a cool thing. Yeah. Since we are talking about the final season of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I mean, if we're going to pull out all the stops, my question to them was, who's your dream character to make a guest appearance in Season 7? Who's your dream character from the Marvel Universe that you would want to see in Season 7? Last if question. any were possible, what would your dream character be for a guest appearance on the show? From the MCU? Yeah. Um, I just like Tom Holland. <laughs> oh, Zendaya. <laughs> Zendaya, oh, you'd want MJ in there? That's cool. No, Zendaya. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to go Peter Parker because I just, I, I've love, always, Peter I, I, love, I love Peter Parker. I love his, I his hang version on. of Spider-Man. I think him and Deke him would, and would get, they'd actually, oh, they'd get nothing done. They'd, they'd, get, they'd, they'd, nothing they'd have a great time. They'd be best friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. I really genuinely think they'd be best friends. Just don't turn into Norman Osborn, though, please. Hey, we're not going Norman Osborn. Finally, we close things out with talking to the producers of the show, of course, Jeff Loeb and Jeff Bell. And the one question for them was, what can you tell us about the end of Season 6 and leading into Season 7? There'll be a two-hour season finale on August 2nd, only on ABC. Uh, And it will answer a lot of the questions that have been posed throughout the season, which is, who is Sarge, why is Sarge, uh, and, and what is to come. Uh, it does have a hint of what is to come in season seven, uh, and and then season seven we've got nothing to lose, so we're swinging for the fences. I mean, we we took some big storytelling risks that we think are very entertaining, that we hope people will also find entertaining. But and knowing how or when it's going to end for real allows us also to build towards that ending that leaves our characters in a place where we hope fans will go, oh, that's cool, I appreciate that. And there's a lot of respect for the previous 124 hours that if you've stayed with us, there's going to be a lot of things that resonate and that you'll be going, oh, they, look what they did, oh, they, oh, look at that. This should be fun. Hard to say it better than Jeff Loeb just did, right? Two-hour season finale of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. going to be August the 2nd on ABC. Make sure you are not missing that. Also, of course, you heard from the boys, the press conference from the cast and and producer of the boys on Amazon Prime Video. Make sure you're streaming that right now as many times as possible because it's a great show on Amazon Prime Video Season 1 of the boys out now. That's going to do it for my recap of San Diego Comic-Con 2019. Again, I want to thank the organizers of San Diego Comic-Con, Comic-Con International, for allowing me to once again be a part of the show. It means a lot to me to be able to go out there and be a part of the biggest event in nerd culture and really in entertainment, if you think about it. There's really nothing bigger than San Diego Comic-Con, and I love being a part of it every year. And and for you, the listeners and the fans, I mean, without you, this isn't possible either. And I like to thank you as as much as I can because I really mean it. Without you guys listening to the show, I don't get to do... What I do, what I love, and and I and I'm so appreciative for that. Also, I wanted to thank some friends that I met along the way, and have certainly met over the years at Comic Con. This is by no means the end of me going to Comic Con, but I met so many great people there. To Josh and Manny and Teresa and Megan and Jennifer, and there's so many. I mean, Lizzie, Alira, that I could go on and on and on about the laundry list of great people that I've met at San Diego Comic Con, and and so many 
just great experiences this year that I didn't get to have last year. Every year it's something new, and I love that. If you ever get a chance to go to San Diego Comic-Con, jump at it because it is an experience like no other. And you're going to hear a lot more interviews from the con in the coming weeks and months. Make sure you're following along down in nerdypodcast.com. Follow us on social media as well. Facebook.com slash down and nerdy and at down and nerdy 757 on Instagram and on Twitter as well. Remember, as always, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.